the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. It's America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. So I want to chat about two TV segments from uh, the last week here. Uh, Let's start with... Bill Nye, the science guy. Uh, we don't have time to do this segment today, but <laughs> Bill Nye has a new show on Netflix called Bill Nye Saves the World. And the last episode is about overpopulation and how there's too many people on the planet, which is something that environmentalists have been saying for hundreds of years. First started in 1798, Thomas Malthus said there's too many people on the planet. There were a billion people on the planet. Uh, at that time, 94% of the world was living in extreme poverty. Today, it's less than a dollar a day. So when Thomas Malthus first said that 200 years ago, there were a billion people. Today, there's 7 billion people, and extreme poverty is 9%. Dropped from 94% to 9% over the last 200 years. So not only are there 7 times as many people, more than 7 times, but people have never been wealthier, never had a higher standard of living. Never had greater access to healthcare and food and all the rest. So this whole overpopulation nonsense is just that. It is nonsense. So don't watch Bill Nye's Netflix show. Um, but he was on TV the other day. And it was him, the founder of uh, Earth350.org, which is an environmentalist group. And then an actual scientist, William Happer. He's a physicist at Princeton. There's nothing really noteworthy about their whole conversation uh, other than... Bill Nye does not have the mind of a scientist. So a real scientist or someone who has a scientific mind, whether they're a professional scientist or not, but someone who has a scientific mind promotes science as an open search for truth, not a closed-minded ideology. Nye, his attitude... Well, it was after the interview, he criticized CNN for even having a climate denier on the air. This physicist from Princeton, right? Like, how dare you even listen to what he has to say, right? Like, that's the mindset of a hack, not a scientist who loves discussing how to interpret evidence and and loves challenging established ideas and who loves uh, scientific discovery, right? Like, that's what science, it's a scientific mind. Bill Nye does not have that. Now, I am not a scientist. 
Um, most people aren't trained scientists. So when they hear people who claim to be, and those people speak with confidence like Bill Nye does, then we tend to believe them, right? We do the all, well, they must know more than me. Bill Nye does not know more than you. Now, that being said, I, I may not be an expert in analyzing computer models of climate predictions, but I am a bit more of an expert in the Constitution. And I want to play this clip here from Bill Nye. It's uh, 1464. Here it is. The science march today is about the economy as well as the environment. Although it's Earth Day, and I was here for the very first Earth Day in 1970. If you suppress science, if you pretend that climate change isn't a real problem, you will fall behind other countries that do invest in science, that do invest in basic research. And it is interesting to note, I think, that Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution refers to the progress of science and the useful arts. Uh, and useful arts in uh, 18th century usage would be what we would call engineering or city planning or architecture. Mm. So this is a very serious problem. When uh, Earth Day started in 1970, everybody's concerned about pollution. Uh, and, we, we, can uh, what we can stop there. So Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. You know it well. This is the part where we, the people, give Congress, the federal government, the authority to do certain things. And there's a list of things. Coin money, declare war, things like that. And one of the things that we give Congress the power to do is to, Bill Nye said it, to promote the progress of science and the useful arts. Now, I'll stop there. If you do stop there, if you stop the sentence right there, like Bill Nye did, what does that mean? Right? It's Congress's job to promote the progress of science and useful arts. It could mean Congress has the power to give a bunch of money to scientific research, scientific causes. Um, useful arts could mean anything, right? And you just, someone can make the argument that whatever junk they have on display at a modern art museum is useful art, right? Now, Bill Nye was right that back then, useful arts was engineering. That's what that meant. So Bill Nye is an originalist all of a sudden, right? Isn't that funny? Bill Nye is like, well, what did, they, what did they mean at the time that they wrote this? Which is what originalists do. Um, but, but the point is that Bill Nye believes he has constitutional authority and the Congress, the, the, the federal government has constitutional authority to do whatever it wants to fight climate change because the Constitution says we need to promote the progress of science. Here's the thing. That's not the end of the sentence. Remember our rule. It comes up a lot. Whenever someone doesn't finish the sentence in the Constitution, when they're quoting the Constitution and they don't finish the sentence, they're hiding something. They're trying to deceive. The full sentence is, Congress has the ability to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. That is the patent office. So Congress has the, the ability to promote the progress of science, not by investing in it, not by controlling in it, not by controlling it, not by having science departments. They have the ability to promote science by creating a patent office, leaving people free to invent things and discover things.
The government's job is property rights, protect private property rights. No one would invent anything if as soon as they do, everyone can copy it and steal it from them. So in order, in order to, so really they, they wrote the sentence from their perspective, they didn't write it backwards, but it would be easier for us to understand if they wrote it backwards, if they wrote it the other way around, right? So today, in today's speak, I'm just going to flip it around. In, um, Congress has the ability to secure for limited times, right? It's a pet, you have a patent for 10, 20 years, whatever, to the authors and inventors, the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries so that we can promote the progress of science and useful arts. Bill Nye, by not quoting the whole sentence, distorted the Constitution to fit his own worldview. Now, makes you think. If he will twist the Constitution, something right there in writing, it's right there. Google it. You can read the whole sentence yourself. If he's willing to go on TV and twist and distort a line out of the Constitution in order to fit his own ends, what will he do and say about climate predictions and climate models to fit his own ends too? Right? Because climate predictions, climate models, it's like, it's like, what are we looking at? Like, no one even knows. Like, what, what is this thing? What am I? And there's a million different ways and variables and things you can look at and not look at. And, blah, blah. and you're like, well, how do I interpret that? Bill Nye, he's, oh, I'm the authority. I, I know how to interpret it. Are we supposed to trust him? Because look what he does with a sentence out of the Constitution, which is, it's like, it's like 20 words. So there's 20 words right here. Boom, right there. And, then, and he'll, he'll twist that. So if he'll twist that, of course, he'll twist whatever climate models he's looking at. The Bible says a lot about false prophets and, and it says that the most dangerous people, the most dangerous false prophets are those who know the Bible, right? Because they can use scripture to twist and distort, right? Even Satan himself was disguised as an angel of light, right? The devil quoted scripture to Jesus to try to get him to sin, quoted scripture, Bill Nye is, is using the Constitution and just with, with just enough knowledge of it, right? He's able to quote it, but not all of it. He's able to share a part of it, but not the whole thing. So he shares enough just so it almost makes sense, but it's not the full story. That is a deceiver. And again, if he's willing to deceive you on that, why wouldn't he deceive everyone else on climate change? one 888 Mike Slater Show on Twitter. We've got uh, one clip I want to play next, one more TV clip uh, from Tucker's show from the other day. I want to play that next as well. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. 
They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call a place for mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call a place for mom at 1-800-803-6951. Slider Crusaders. All right, one more uh, TV segment here I want to break down. This is on Tucker's show. Uh, he's talking to J- uh, Julissa Arce. Arce. She's a dreamer. Uh, came here when she was 11 from Mexico, went to college, ultimately became a vice president at Goldman Sachs. And she wrote an article on uh, CNBC about, against the, the border wall, or the, right, Trump's border wall. So this is one of the sentences that she wrote. She said, while the wall is Trump's symbol of hate, and a complete waste of taxpayer money. Trump's deportation force is the most harmful and pressing threat, blah, blah, blah. So she goes on and on about it. And, and, and she's sharp because she, I mean, she's smart. Uh, so she makes good arguments. But when she's on Tucker's show, Tucker zeroes in on the symbol of hate line. And I want to play this because watch how she can't defend it. So this is what happens when someone will exaggerate. Right. Trump's Trump's wall is a symbol of hate. And and people will say something, they'll exaggerate like that and not be able to back it up. And when they're called on it, look at the things that people will do to backtrack, to dodge, to step sidestep and all those because you can't really back something like that up. All right, so so uh take this in here, we'll break it down. Fourteen sixty five. And my voice might be different than your voice, but we both get to voice our opinion. But I'm not, I'm not, of and course, so I would, and I'm not challenging your, your right to, ha- to say what you think, and I would, I would defend it, literally. However, I yeah. don't understand well, my, my, why a country's desire to protect its border is, this, is an expression of hate. Well, what, what does that mean? I, my, I, think, I think my, no, I think that my, the point that I'm trying to make is that the wall is not the best way to protect our borders. Listen, I live here. I want this country to be safe. My children are going to grow up in America as American citizens born here. And so I absolutely want our country to be safe. But building a wall that is going to cost, by the way, billions of dollars of American taxpayers, my tax dollars are going to go I'm sorry. You, to build I'm not, a wall. I, you know what? I don't have any patience for that argument. isn't going to, it isn't going to protect argument. us. Okay. How is you, a wall going so to protect us? So you're saying it's too expensive. You're saying okay, the wall is too expensive. Let's stop here. So the question is, how is the wall a symbol of hate? You said it's a symbol of hate. How is it a symbol of hate? Her first two arguments are, it's not the best way to defend the country and it will be expensive. Now, those are fine arguments, right? If, if you want to make that argument, it's totally fine. Um, so the first one is, it's not the best way to defend the country. Okay. Um, I don't agree with that, but that's an argument that people can could make and and that's that's fine you know you could say oh you know a wall people can just go over it or under it or around it and whatever right um and you can make the argument that the wall is not going to be as effective at at keeping people out as you know you as some people would like to imagine it will be all right so that's fine you totally make that argument but that's not what you said you said the wall is a symbol of hate why is it a symbol of hate well it's not the best way to defend the country well so so a bigger wall would it would it not be a symbol of hate it was if it was a taller wall if it was a thicker wall if it went 100 feet below the surface of the earth so people couldn't go under it 
Like, is that what you're saying? Because the question again, why, how is the wall a symbol of hate? Well, it's not the best way to defend the country. Okay, so if we used drones every mile for the entire border, drones with lasers on it that would shoot anyone and who crosses it, is that like that's is that not a symbol of hate? Because let's let's think of, let's say if there's something that d- is amazing that totally locks the country down, right? Like no one can cross it. Is it no longer a symbol of hate? Because your argument so far is that it's a symbol of hate because it's not good at defending the country. So that can't clearly be what you really think, right? And then you say it's expensive. Expensive. How, how does that make it a symbol of hate? Again, you can say it's too expensive. That's fine. But that's not the question. The question is not, why are you against the wall? Oh, well, I'm against the wall because I don't think it'll defend the country and it's too expensive. Okay. That's not the question. The question is, why did you call it a symbol of hate? Okay, so she's dodging. Let's give her another chance here. 1466. It's too expensive. You're saying the wall is too expensive, but you know it's not going a real to protect argument. us. Okay. How is you, the wall going so to protect us? So you're saying it's too expensive. You're saying the wall is too expensive, but you know that's not actually what you said. You said it's an expression of hate, and I just want to get to the bottom of that. Why is it hateful to want to build a wall? A lot of Americans do, the majority in some surveys. Why is that related to hate? It is, it is a hateful symbol. It is a symbol of, of hate against immigrants. It is a, him, a symbol of hate against uh, Mexican immigrants, which, you know, the president, uh, the, the Mr. Trump, uh, ran his campaign on. So I do still view the But why is it a symbol of hate? Well, hold on. Why is it a, I just want to get to the bottom of this, because you're throwing around language that has an effect on people's attitudes, and it's pretty heavy duty, because it presumes motives that you can't know. You don't know that people who support the wall hate Mexican immigrants. A lot of people coming across the border are not from Mexico, as you know, they're Central Americans. Is it legitimate, is it morally legitimate for an American to say, I want control of who comes into my country, and we don't have that, and so a wall will reestablish that control. For you to denounce that as hate and seems I would, a little much. And I would absolutely, and I would absolutely welcome a conversation about how do we create a system by which people can come here legally that will benefit Americans, that will increase tax revenue, that will increase economic activity. So we should have that conversation. We're having that conversation now. You're not answering with respect. You're not answering my question. You're not answering the key question here. But let's get to another question. I I am answering the question. question Why is it a symbol of hate for people to disagree with you on the wall? As, as, a Mexican, as a Mexican immigrant, I can have an opinion that that wall, to me, symbolizes a symbol I'm merely of asking you to explain That's your all. opinion. I'm not challenging your right to have one. I think you have a right to have any opinion you want. But I think I have a right to ask you what you're talking about, and you can't explain it. So let's move on to the right. next question, which is really... <laughs> okay, so there it is, right? So then it turned into, well, this is my opinion. I'm entitled to have an opinion. Yeah, yeah, of course you are. But as Tucker just said, I'm just asking you to back it up. <laughs> What are you talking about? Why? Why is it a symbol of hate? This is what happens when people are imprecise with their language. And, and it's pretty responsible calling it a symbol of hate. Because then, therefore, anyone who wants a wall is a person full of hate. Right? If that's a symbol of hate and you support it, then you are a hateful person. And that just creates more division and that's not helpful, obviously. Right? But so you see how that is? Like, just, it's a throwaway. Uh, it's just to her. It's like, well, it's my opinion. I'm going to call it a, a symbol of hate. How? Um, I don't, I don't know. Just, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, okay, but how, you can't call it a symbol of hate without backing that up. Now, she says she's open to have a conversation about, about, you know, speeding up the illegal immigrant process and all that. Great, so would I. 
But you can't do that unless you stop the flow of illegal immigrants across the border. No one will go through the process legally, even if we speed it up. No one will go through the process legally if they can do it easier, cheaper, faster, illegally. So you got to stop the illegal flow. And then at the same time, have a process of legal immigration. This is not tricky. This is not hard. And it's not about racism. It's not about hatred. It's about chaos. We just want to stop the chaos. And you can't until you stop people from illegally coming across. So once we stop people from coming across the border, then we can have a conversation about streamlining the immigration process. And I would be very open to that. I think most Americans would be. But having control of our border is a necessary first step. First step. I really, I really like that clip there because... So William F. Buckley, a couple decades ago, said... He was doing a debate with someone. And he said, I won't insult your intelligence by suggesting that you really believe what you just said. And, and I think that applies to this woman. Like this lady, you just said this wall is a symbol of hate. I'm not going to insult your intelligence by suggesting you really believe that. And I think as Tucker Carlson just proved, she doesn't really. At least she can't back it up. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. Why, hello, Slater Crusaders. Thanks for being here. So, the president did an interview with the AP the other day, and it's amazing. <laughs> so, people just kept sending me links. I don't even know if there's audio for it. I don't know if there's audio or video. I just keep reading transcripts of it, which is kind of weird, but it's hilarious. It's so good. So, I want to read. Uh, let me just do one quick part here, and then uh, we'll get to the main point. So, here, this is this is Trump. Yeah, President uh, Z. Uh, we have a the president of China. We have a, like a really great relationship for me to call him a currency manipulator and then say, Hey, by the way, I'd like you to solve the North Korean problem. That doesn't work. So you got to have a certain flexibility. Number one, number two, from the time I took office till now, you know, it's a very exact thing. It's not like generalities. Do you want a Coke or anything? <laughs> and the AP person says, no, I'm okay. Thank you. It's like, what? You're talking about North Korea. You're talking about China, North Korea. Hey, by the way, you want a Coke? You good? Okay. All right, fine. Let's just move on. That's hilarious. All right, but here's the main part. So this got almost no attention last week. Aya Hajazi. She is an American, Egyptian descent, uh, and she's an aid worker. And she was in Egypt uh, with her husband. So she and her husband and a couple of other aid workers have been in prison for three years because of child abuse charges. And the charges are totally, completely absurd. And Barack Obama tried to negotiate her release for years and obviously nothing ever happened. Now, the Egyptian president was at the White House a couple weeks ago. And they said, and they said, that, you know, before he got there, that this is one of the things they were going to talk about is, uh, are these Americans who are in the prison? And she got released the other day. And she was at the White House and they did a thing, whole thing. And she's home and her husband and all the other aid workers. And it got almost no media attention because Trump did it, right? I'll get to that in a second. But how? How did that happen? 
So the AP says, can you tell me a little bit about how that came about? And Trump says, no, just, you know, I asked the government to let her out. You know, Obama worked on it for three years. Got Zippo. Zero. (laughs) The AP AP says, well, how'd you hear about this story? Oh, many people, human rights people are talking about it. It's an incredible thing, especially when you meet her. You realize, I mean, she was in a rough place. Did you strike a deal with the president of Egypt over this? No, no deal. He was here. I said, I would really appreciate it if you would look into this and let her out. As you know, she went through a trial and anyway, she was let go. That's it. <laughs> right. So the APs, well, just, what, what deal did you strike? Oh, no, I just, I just asked. So what's going on here? What is Donald Trump in his entire life? A salesman. What is the biggest thing in sales that salespeople don't do? They don't ask. Salespeople don't ask for the order. It's the most obvious part of the job. You'd think, right? Ask for the order. And it's amazing how many salespeople don't do this and then they wonder why they're not selling. They don't ask. They beat around the bush, right? They, they try to like present it, but they don't want to be too pushy or maybe too, or whatever. And they just don't ask. And people like to be asked. So Trump asked. That's it. So Trump's a great salesperson because he asks. So here's the example. So you're like, I don't believe it. It can't be that simple. All right, same interview. They're talking about the Italian prime minister and, and paying more money for NATO, right? And uh, that's the question. And Trump says, oh, he's going to end up paying. But you know, nobody ever asked the question. Nobody asked. Nobody ever asked him to pay up. So it's a different kind of presidency. <laughs> so there's two, two questions or two stories in this interview where he says, oh, I just asked. No one ever asked. I did. I asked. And this is how he won the presidency too. It's really that simple. He asked people for their vote in places where Hillary didn't. Hillary didn't spend a dime on advertising. I think in, I'm this is ballpark fact as Glenn would say, I don't think she spent a penny in Wisconsin, like the last month before the election or something absurd like that. And she didn't go to Wisconsin or Michigan in the last couple of weeks. She didn't even go. And in Pennsylvania, all the States that he flipped Hillary couldn't be bothered. Couldn't be bothered to ask for the vote. Trump asked, what if it's that simple? What if it really all comes down? It's just that it all comes down to that. It's just that simple. He asked, she didn't. I want to read. This is from uh, tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill was the speaker of the house uh, in the early eighties, late seventies, early eighties. I think he was the third longest serving speaker of the house in history or something. Uh, Democrat. So this is from uh, a biography of him. Thomas P. O'Neill learned two great lessons from his first campaign. One lesson was learned on the last day of the campaign from his high school drama teacher, a neighbor who lived across the street from his house. On that fateful day, Mrs. Elizabeth O'Brien approached the aspiring politician and said, Tom, I'm going to vote for you tomorrow, even though you didn't ask me. Tip was puzzled as he's known Mrs. O'Brien for years and has done chores for her. 
cutting grass, raking leaves, shoveling snow. And he told his neighbor, I didn't think I had to ask for your vote. She replied, Tom, let me tell you something. People like to be asked. How crazy if the entire election really comes down to that. Hillary expected people's vote. Trump asked for people's vote. And people like to be asked. And just for the record, Tip's second lesson was that all politics is local. But that's not uh, not relevant here. So Roger Kimball, he compared what Trump did with this Egyptian woman and what Obama did, right? Now, what I want to share is a little bit of a different moment, right? But it's the same idea. If you remember back in 2014, Barack Obama released five senior Taliban leaders in Guantanamo Bay for Bo Bergdahl, who was that army deserter, right? So Barack Obama ordered five terrorists to be released in exchange for an anti-American army deserter who cost the lives of at least six army soldiers who went looking for him. So that, that's what it took for that trade. On the other hand, Trump heard about an American woman in Egypt in jail and asked the president to let her go. Now, from the media's perspective, when Bergdahl was released, Big deal all over the place, right? Remember the, the Bo and his mom and dad were at the White House and they did a whole speech and the whole thing and all this. And, and everyone in America is like, well, wait a second. This guy, this guy's a deserter. Like, he, what, why are we, when we celebrate? And then you, wait, you gave up five people from Guantanamo Bay in exchange for him? Like, what do you, but the media loved it. They're, oh, the greatest thing in the world. Americans back home. And it's like this, this great you know, coming home story. America's like, what are you, huh? Meanwhile, when this woman was released, the New York Times, you know, on the, on the side, they have the, the column. And it's like, uh, you know, for, for more of this story, go to page A16. Or so they have the, the world section, a couple stories, the U.S. section, a couple stories, and then the politics section. And there are three stories in the politics section. The middle one was about this woman coming back home to America. The middle one. It wasn't in the world section. It wasn't in the U.S. section. It was in the politics section because, as Kimball said, Trump is unable to perform a humanitarian act to everyone in the New York Times. Unable. It's impossible. Everything he does has to be filtered through the lens of politics. So we're going to squeeze it into the politics section when it should be front page news, if nothing else. Should be amazing news, and it would be if there was a different person in the White House. So, step one if you want someone to do something, maybe we make it way too complicated. Maybe just ask. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I want. I got. Let me take a break here. I want to come back. I want to share another story here of Teddy Roosevelt. Because there's something else that people love. And I think this is true for American people. And I think it's mostly or even more true for people around the world. People love bold, decisive leaders. I don't want to share a story of Teddy Roosevelt to prove that point. We'll do that next on the Mike Slater Show on The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network.
part of the next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater. Just talked a story about, shared a story about asking. <laughs> we have a president who will ask people for things. I love that he's like, yeah, the Italian prime minister. He hasn't paid more for NATO because no one asked him. But I asked him. He will. <laughs> like, oh, like that's simple. So people like to be asked. And I also think people in the world, especially, appreciate boldness. Not recklessness from a U.S. president. No one wants that. But boldness. Absolutely. So I'm reading this book called The River of Doubt. It's awesome. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. It's about Teddy Roosevelt. And it's right after he lost his uh, uh, race for third term as president. So the Constitution says you can't do two consecutive terms. But you can take a term off and then come back and run again. All right. So Barack Obama can run in, you know next, next go around if he wanted. So Teddy Roosevelt did his two terms. And then he took eight years off. And then he came back and ran uh, a third term. For a third term, but he didn't, he lost and he wanted to go. He was super depressed. So he wanted to go on this crazy adventure. So he decided to go with his son to explore this river in the Amazon. It was called the river of doubt. Ominous name. And no one's ever gone down it before. Totally. They had no clue what was down this river and they're going down the river and everyone almost died. And many people did. It's just a crazy, crazy story. So I definitely recommend it. But before he goes down the river, he goes to South America, which in 19, this was 19, oh geez. What year was this? This is embarrassing. 1912, I think. Something like that. Um, At that time, South America was a continent that was really unknown to Americans. But he gets down there and he visits a couple uh, cities and gives speeches, which he hated doing. Now, he was loved everywhere he went except for one country. They hated him there. A little background here. It was Teddy Roosevelt who ordered the Panama Canal to be built. Now, here's the thing. This was in his third year in office, and the U.S. government was debating whether or not we should build a canal through Panama or Nicaragua. And we decided Panama, but at the time, Panama was controlled by Colombia. So Roosevelt said, hey, Colombia, we're going to give you 12 million bucks so we can build this canal. And Columbia said, no, you're not. Uh, first, it needs to be way more than that. And here's all the restrictions we have. And that really ticked off Teddy Roosevelt. And he wrote his secretary of state. He said, do not allow the lot of jackrabbits to bar one of the future highways of civilization. So the U.S. government supported this Panamanian revolution that was bubbling under the surface there for a long time in order to make Panama separate from Colombia. So U.S. Navy warships lined the coast uh, as this revolt was going on, as if to say, all right, Columbia, you're gonna, what are you going to do? So the Panamanians won, started this new country, Panama, and they immediately signed this treaty with America to give us the canal space. So it was the, the land or the, the water and then five miles on each side. And it was a 100-year treaty, and we now gave it back to Panama a couple of years ago. But this is how this all started. So going to Colombia <laughs> was out of the question. The people of Colombia weren't so fond of the former president. The thing is, there were a lot of Colombians in Chile. So he goes to Chile and gives a speech and wasn't quite expecting it, but there were a ton of protests. They hated the Yankee imperialist in Chile. So what did he do? He ran like a coward. No, he faced it head on. And he gave this big speech. And one of the people who was with him on on his adventure, he said the large auditorium in which he spoke seemed to be surcharged with electricity. 
and everyone seemed to be prepared for a shock or an explosion. Everything was dramatic in the extreme. So he gets up in front of everyone and he says, now, what would Barack Obama say? Oh, you know, sorry. Well, you know, we had, I could have, uh, he gets up and says, I took the action I did in the Panama because to have acted otherwise would have been both weak and wicked. I would have taken that action no matter what power stood in my way. What I did was in the interest of the world and was particularly in the interests of Chile and certain other South American countries. I was in accordance with the toughest, highest, and strictest dictates of justice. If it were a matter to do over again, I would act precisely and exactly as I did in every way. That's, that's what he said, stands up and says in front of this angry mob who wants to chop his head off. And I'll quote from the book. As these words rang through the hall, the audience leapt to its feet, cheering and applauding the Yankee imperialist. Amazing. He wasn't going to back down. He wasn't, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I, you know, we did, the, we thought it was, oh, I didn't know that you, we took a bit, you wanted, he didn't do that. He didn't back down and the people respected it. Even those who disagreed with him, they at least respected his conviction. But our namsy pamsy truth is relative walk on eggshells culture we have today, talking like this, oh, you can't, but you know what? I think in due time, talking like Roosevelt right did there or did that did, did then will eventually hold more value than it does today today it's a bad thing to do but I think one day soon speaking like this will be held up as a, as a good thing the sooner the better Mike Slater show spread the word you're listening to Mike Slater on the blaze radio network